Welcome. You're listening to the Crazy Professor, but it might just work, amazing podcast. Episode 21. Understanding Mass Shooting, Part 2. Virginia Tech Shooting. Virginia Tech shooting took place on April 16, 2007, where 32 staff and students were killed and 17 more were wounded by a 23-year-old and graduate student who then shot himself at the scene before he could be arrested. The perpetrator was Sen Hu Chol, a South Korean immigrant with a US permanent residency card who had been struggling with severe mental health problems and a range of social difficulties in the years and particularly the months leading up to the shooting. The shooting at Virginia Tech was the deadliest mass shooting by a lone gunman on a university campus in US history and still remains so to this time. Cho's strange behaviour and borderline criminal activity were known to campus authorities, his tutors, well-being staff in his university, fellow students, local psychiatrists and psychologists, and his former high school. His behaviours became more extreme and intense in the few months preceding the shooting as his mental state deteriorated, but nothing was done to prevent what happened. Many mass shootings are blamed on the shooter's mental health problems, and reports are often quick to say if the shooter had any history of depression or anxiety or low-level mental health issues in their backgrounds. However, research shows that if mass shooters do have any low-level mental health problems in their histories, and it's only around half of them that do, it's likely that such mental health problems are not the cause of the shooting, but they're more a symptom of the troubled life that they often lead. It is severe mental health problems that have some linkage to mass shootings, where the sufferer is undergoing psychosis or a detachment from reality. And this form of severe mental health problem is seen in about one-third to 40% of mass shooters. Seng Yu Choi was born in Asan in South Korea on the 18th of January 1984. His family consisted of his father, his mother and older sister. Cho's parents had an arranged marriage and his mother was from a well-educated family of North Korean landowners who had been forced to flee during the Korean War. Cho's father was from a poor South Korean family and Cho was eight years old when his family made the move to the United States where they eventually began to run their own dry cleaning business in Virginia. Cho's older sister was highly intelligent and outgoing and she was the complete opposite of Cho whose extreme shyness worried his parents. According to his maternal grandfather, soon after they got to America, Cho became withdrawn and emotionally cold, eventually being diagnosed with selective mutism and major depression during the 8th grade of middle school. Cho was picked on by other students at a young age, but according to a close friend of his, in elementary school nobody actually hated or disliked Cho. He was recognised by friends as having good knowledge and being someone who was well-dressed and also popular with girls on occasion. He was a good academic performer, but he suffered from poor social interactions with others, and it was that that held him back from excelling. He also had some problems with speech production and finding the correct words to use in social situations, and this was not identified for some time because it overlapped with his social shyness. 
Cho's grandparents commented on how he was extremely shy as a young boy, despite being a good student, and like most of his family, they suspected that Cho would come out of his shell and blossom in due course. In middle school and high school, things changed. Cho was often teased over his shyness and an unusual speech pattern. Former classmates stated they heard rumours of a hit list of other students who Cho wanted to kill, though at the time they regarded the existence of the list as a joke. In high school, due to his selective mutism, depression and anxieties, Cho was dissuaded from entering Virginia Tech due to its campus size, and he was encouraged to enter a smaller college where he may be able to cope more willingly. But, however, he went against those recommendations, and when he graduated from Westfield High School in 2003, he enrolled at Virginia Tech. He initially enrolled as a business information systems major in his freshman year, but by his senior year he'd become an English major, although Virginia Tech have never elaborated on why the change was made or what his academic performance was like. Due to federal privacy laws, specifically the Family Educational Rights Privacy Act, the authorities at Cho's previous high school, Westfield High in Chantilly, Virginia, were unable to inform those at Virginia Tech about Cho's social problems and difficulties. They couldn't do this without his permission. None of the details of his social difficulties and growing concerns about potential problems were disclosed to Virginia Tech admissions staff. While a student at Virginia Tech, the warning signs continued. Cho stood out, among others, as a near-silent loner who wrote darkly-themed poems, stories and plays. His emotional difficulties did not abate. Cho sometimes referred to himself as question mark and would sign himself into class registers with a question mark instead of his signature. He acquired the name of the question mark kid amongst his friends. In the months leading up to the attack, he lived in a three-room apartment in a dorm that housed about 250 students. He wrote less than half a dozen short stories as part of his coursework for his English major, often involving younger protagonists who'd perceived some corrupt older individual as holding them back, and ultimately in his stories, the young protagonists would get their revenge against the older male. The stories are not particularly well written, and they contained a variety of errors, mistakes, clichés, and they were poorly constructed. Cho submitted a book idea to a New York publishing house, but was rejected, and also around that time started to lose contact with his family. He became more and more socially isolated on campus. In 2005, some of Cho's tutors stated that not only was his behaviour menacing, but that he'd a mean streak and could be intimidating to others. His darkly obscene poetry raised further concerns and was described as intimidating. There were previous reported incidents of Cho intimidating female students by photographing their legs and knees under their desks in class and also by writing his obscene violent poetry. His covert photographic behaviours saw Cho removed from classes on some occasions when he was caught, but follow-up follow -up action didn't occur. Cho did have a warning issued by Virginia Tech campus police for harassing at least three different female students with constant messages and phone calls in November and December of 2005. However, due to there being no overt threats, no further action could be taken and verbal warnings were issued. A suicidal statement by Cho to a college roommate 
led to him being taken to a psychiatric hospital in December 2005. It was on December the 13th when Cho was found mentally ill and in need of hospitalisation by New River Valley Community Services Board, following a psychiatric evaluation which noted Cho's flat affect and depression. A judge ordered that he be released the next day as long as Cho underwent psychiatric help on an outpatient basis. Once released, Cho didn't attend any of the sessions and he soon dropped out of the outpatient programme. As he'd been an outpatient and not a psychiatric inpatient, when Cho eventually came to buy handguns, he was legally permitted to do so under Virginia state law. Cho was regarded as a fantasist and liar by those who knew him on campus, and he would often claim he had a supermodel girlfriend called Jelly that nobody ever saw, and he made other outrageous claims which we'll come to shortly. So it's clear that Cho had a history of poor mental health bordering on psychoses, and a history of not coping well with others in social situations, and he'd been diagnosed as having paranoid schizoid dynamics, schizophrenia, selective mutism, and depression. It was five weeks before the shooting at Virginia Tech when Cho bought his first handgun online on the 9th of February. He bought a 2-2 caliber Walther P22 semi-automatic pistol that was ordered online from a federally licensed arms dealer in Wisconsin. The gun was shipped from Wisconsin to a pawnbroker's in Blacksburg, Virginia, where Cho completed the background checking person and took possession of the gun. Just over a month later, on March 13th, he bought a second handgun, a 9mm Glock 19 semi-automatic pistol, from a licensed gun dealer in Renoke in Virginia. Both transactions were completed with the aid of Cho's US permanent residency card, a Virginia driver's permit, and his checkbook, which proved his address. Between the purchase of the first and second gun, Cho had waited the requisite 30-day period in accordance to Virginia state law, although that law has since been revoked. Cho was successful at completing both handgun purchases because he did not disclose on the standard background questionnaire that a Virginia court had indeed ordered him to undergo outpatient treatment at a mental health facility. Not telling the truth and disclosing information on the 4473 form is a very simple way for many people who shouldn't be allowed handguns to obtain them. On March the 22nd, Cho then bought two 10-round magazines for the P22 pistol through eBay, and the next day he bought another 10-round magazine from a different eBay seller. Cho also bought jacketed hollow-point bullets, a hunting knife, and some heavy-duty metal chains. Nine days later, Cho visited the PSS range in training for an indoor pistol range practice session, and this was followed by him recording one of his to-camera rant pieces in a rented van, which we'll come to later. Cho's experiences in the months leading up to the shooting were very clearly ones where he was impaired and detached from reality. Many well-known mass shooters have suffered from psychosis and schizophrenia in a similar way, such as Adam Lanza and James Holmes. Much research suggests that anything up to 60% of mass shooters between 1970 and 2014 were suffering from severe mental health problems such as delusions, depressions and paranoia before they committed their shooting sprees. In Cho's manifesto, and a letter of complaint that he also sent to the English department at Virginia Tech, 
He states that he is a person by the name of Axe Ishmael, and in his writings he seems to truly believe that this is the character who he is. One of Cho's roommates described his behaviour, saying that Cho appeared to never go to class or to read a book during his senior year, and that he just typed on his laptop, went to the dining hall, and clipped his hair in the toilet, cleaning up the mess afterwards. It was also reported that Cho was often witnessed riding his bicycle round in circles in the dormitory parking lot. Other roommates recalled getting a series of strange phone calls from Cho on occasion, such as claiming he was on vacation with Vladimir Putin in North Carolina. But the unusual nature of such calls became to be so standard and typical for Cho that it was no longer seen as alarming or worrying behaviour. So Cho had a persistent claim that he had a supermodel girlfriend called Jelly, and he would refer to himself as question mark kid. And this behaviour suggests that he was indeed suffering from either delusions or hallucinations, and they could of course be delusions of grandeur. Why have a girlfriend when you can have a supermodel girlfriend? Why have a name when you could have a mysterious name such as the question mark kid? These are devices to make him sound more interesting and enigmatic than he really is. His manifesto revealed delusions of grandeur, such as making direct comparisons between himself and Moses and Jesus, and the delusions of grandeur and the hallucinations suggest that he was suffering from some form of schizophrenia. So the shootings on the 16th of April 2007 took place in two different locations, the first being at West Ambler Johnson Hall on the campus and the second at Norris Hall on the campus. The West Ambler Johnson Hall was a co-ed dormitory for just under 900 students and Cho, Cho was seen near the entrance here at 7am. The shooting began at 7.15am when Cho shot his first victim, Emily Hilscher, in her room, room 4040, at West Ambler Johnson Hall. His second victim was Ryan Christopher, a resident assistant clerk in the campus dormitory who went to explore what the noise was that he heard coming from Hilsha's room. Both Emily and Ryan suffered fatal gunshot wounds and died at the scene. Cho fled the scene without engaging any further attacks or any interaction with other individuals. He returned immediately to his residence where he changed out of his bloody jeans, stashed them in his room and put on fresh clothing. Blacksburg Police Department officers were soon on the scene of the double shooting and they believed it was a domestic homicide and that perhaps Hilsch's boyfriend, Carl Thornhill, who was an avid gun user, was perhaps the killer. This meant that university security measures were not engaged nor were students notified of the shooting for more than two hours after they occurred and this meant that classes began as normal at 8am. At 9am that morning, Cho posted a package from Blacksburg Post Office to NBC News in New York, and the package contained a DVD which had a number of video clips, photos, and an 1,800-word-long manifesto. Around two hours since the first shootings, Cho then entered Norris Hall, which was the house for the Engineering, Science and Mechanics program. He locked the three main doors using the chains that he brought with him. Following this, Armed with his two pistols and approximately 400 rounds of ammunition, Cho resumed his attack. He began shooting in room 206 in Norris Hall at about 9.40am. He killed nine people. 
Cho went across the hall into room 207 to a German class and shot and killed the teacher and other students in the room. He then went to room 211 where there was a French class occurring and a, and a teacher asked one of the students to call 911 and this was before Cho managed to break into the room and shoot up the classroom. Cho then went between classrooms shooting indiscriminately at students and staff. He tried to gain entry to several of the rooms and he successfully managed to break into the door to room 211 where he began shooting at people as he walked down amongst the rows of desks. He also shot at people who were trying to escape. At 9.50am, police managed to shoot their way through one of the chained doors to the building and this caused Cho to panic. He shot himself in the head before police could reach him and he was pronounced dead shortly after 9.51am. 32 people were killed and 17 were injured. Cho had used 17 magazines of ammunition and fired 174 rounds. The second attack took just nine minutes. At 10.52 a.m., an email from Virginia Tech Administration warned students and staff of a multiple shooting with multiple victims in Norris Hall. And the email said that the shooter had been arrested, but that police were hunting for a possible second shooter. According to the police, they thought initially that Cho must have fired around 170 rounds in Norris Hall. The victims included five professors, 25 students. The following day, Virginia Tech Police released the name of Seng Yu Choi and confirmed the fatalities between the two incidents. That evening, a candlelit vigil was held on the drill field and many people attended to pay their respects to the victims and to try and come to terms with what had happened. During the investigation, Blacksburg Police found a note in Cho's room in which he criticised rich kids, their debauchery, and called them deceitful charlatans. In the note, Cho said, you caused me to do this. Early media reports also speculated that he was obsessed with his first victim, student Emily Hilsher, and that he'd become enraged after she rejected him. However, there was no evidence that Hilsher knew Cho, and only one of Cho's victims, Ross Alamedeen, attended the same English class as Cho during 2006. On April the 18th, two days after the shooting, NBC News in New York received the package posted by Cho using the identity again of A. Ashmail, parts of which were broadcast widely at the time. The package was scheduled to arrive the day before, on April the 17th, but it had been delayed due to Cho using an incorrect zip code. The materials were handed over to the FBI to assist in the investigation, but the broadcast of some photos and clips of the videos showed Cho blaming fellow students for alienating and isolating him, and that he'd been compelled to kill them because they essentially made him do it. He compared himself to Moses and said he was taking their sins on his shoulders. He described his victims as rich kids. He said, thanks to you, I die like Jesus Christ to inspire generations of the weak and defenceless people. The photos Cho took showed him brandishing a variety of weapons, some of which were emulating poses from the movie Old Boy. In the letter, Cho proclaimed his admiration for the Columbine killers, Klebold and Harris. Photos of the hollow point bullets that he bought were accompanied with the caption, all the shit you've given me, right back at you with hollow points. 
Broadcasting the photos and videos resulted in an open letter to NBC from several eminent psychiatrists asking them not to air the footage and the clips for fear that it would motivate future copycat shooters. Experts who viewed the footage from Cho said that, like most legacy materials left behind by mass killers who seek fame, they were not an accurate record of who he was, but rather who he wanted to be seen as. The video evidence that Cho left behind in his package don't help us to understand him. They distort him. Cho was meek, he was quiet, he was unable to function very well. It was a PR tape of him trying to turn himself into a Quentin Tarantino-type character to manipulate the media and to give his own version of the story. This is something we see time and time again with narcissist mass shooters. They want to retell the tale in their favour. One of the video clips Cho sent included him reading off a page. It was not recited from memory or spontaneously produced, and his monotonous voice and lack of affect make it very clear that he was operating in a deeply disturbed and removed state. The martyrdom and grandiose delusional thoughts are apparent. The clip read like this. I didn't have to do this. I could have left. I could have fled. But no, I will no longer run. If not for me, for my children, for my brothers and sisters that you fucked, I did it for them. When the time came, I did it. I had to. You had a hundred billion chances and ways to have avoided today, but you decided to spill my blood. You forced me into a corner and gave me only one option. The decision was yours. Now you have blood on your hands that will never wash off. You sadistic snobs, I may be nothing but a piece of dog shit. You have vandalised my heart, raped my soul and torched my conscience. You thought it was one pathetic boy's life you were extinguishing. Thanks to you, I die like Jesus Christ, to inspire generations of the weak and defenceless people. Do you know what it feels like to be spit on in your face and have trash shoved down your throat? Do you know what it feels like to dig your own grave? Do you know what it feels like to have your throat slashed from ear to ear? Do you know what it feels like to be torched alive? Do you know what it feels like to be humiliated and be impaled upon a cross and left to bleed to death for your amusement? You have never felt a single ounce of pain your whole life. Did you want to inject as much misery in our lives as you can just because you can? You had everything you wanted. Your Mercedes wasn't enough, you brats. Your golden necklaces weren't enough, you snobs. Your trust fund wasn't enough. Your vodka and cognac weren't enough. All your debaucheries weren't enough. Those weren't enough to fulfil your hedonistic needs. You had everything. You just loved to crucify me. You loved inducing cancer in my head, terrorising my heart and raping my soul all this time. When the time came, I did it. I had to. I think it's self-evident the amount of self-pity and grandiose delusion and victimology and victimhood that is in there. Cho's actions suggested a very strong element of fame-seeking as he mailed his package and manifesto and recordings to NBC News. These actions strongly suggest Cho had the intention of seeking fame all along whilst planning his attack, since he prepared the photos of him posing with weapons and self-recorded videos some weeks before. Where Cho differs greatly from other fame-seeking mass shooters, 
is that he seemed to show great uncertainty about whether he would or would not conduct his shooting. Most fame-seeking mass shooters who send manifestos out or postings online typically do so before they start their shooting spree. But with Cho, he killed two of his victims before he then went on to post the package. To me, this suggests he wasn't sure he could go through with it, and he wouldn't want to post a package if he changed his mind about the attack. Cho was often dismissed by others. He saw himself as a leader of the underdog for a long time, just how Klebold and Harris, after Columbine, had retold their narratives with all of their journals and written materials, saying that they were targeting the jocks and the sporty guys who'd picked on the nerds such as them. Again, a complete embellishing of the tale from the narcissist's point of view. Fame-seeking mass shooters give in to their superior thoughts and they attempt to seek their glory and fame through their killings. Research has shown that they often kill significantly more people than non-fame-seeking shooters and they tend to be of a younger age than non-fame-seeking mass shooters. An example of one of the first fame-seeking mass shootings was the Texas shooting on the 12th of November 1966 by Robert Smith, who was 18 at the time. He went into a beautician's college and killed five people. When he was arrested, he said the reason he committed the shootings was because he wanted to get known and to get himself a name. And this occurred just three months after Charles Whitman's notorious killing spree at the University of Texas clock tower in Utah. Robert Smith was directly referencing seeing news coverage of Whitman's shooting and he saw it as a way for himself to gain instant notoriety. Virginia Tech University was later heavily criticised for its poor handling of the incident, highlighting its failure to notify students and staff of the initial shooting, as well as its failure to identify and act upon potential warning signs displayed by Cho in the months leading up to the shooting. However, privacy laws prevented the university from sharing information about Cho's mental health history with other agencies and his parents. In 2011, the US Department for Education fined Virginia Tech for failing to issue rapid campus-wide warnings after the first two victims were killed, and lawsuits were also filed by some of the relatives of some of the victims. There has been a sharp increase in the number of incidents of mass shootings in the US conducted by fame-seeking shooters. Mass shooters are a unique subtype of homicide offenders because they indiscriminately kill strangers, not just specific victims who they're linked with. The important thing to remember is that mass shooters often believe that they have been mistreated by others, and these feelings are linked with hostility at school or at workplaces, such as negative social interactions with fellow students or bosses and co-workers, and disciplinary actions may be loitering in the background. In part, the shooter's desire for fame can be seen as an attempt to compensate for their perceived mistreatment in the past and their level of failure. Rather than be marginalised, they want to show everyone that they deserve more attention, which is what they get by committing such crimes and receiving high levels of news coverage. Studies of rampage school shooters found that over 90% of attackers between 74 and 2008 struggle with suicidal tendencies, mental illness or depression. Cho certainly fits within that classification as he suffered from depression, emotional difficulties and mutism. However, we must remember that mass shootings perpetrated by individuals like this 
represent less than 1% of all gun-related homicides in the US each year. Cho can certainly be seen as a fame-seeking mass shooter and a copycat mass shooter. Some research shows that around 20-30% to 30 of attacks are set off by other attacks that happened in the preceding few weeks. Cho used the number 88 quite a lot in his manifesto, often referring to Heil Hitler, the eighth letter of the alphabet, 88. Though Cho's reason for doing it remains unknown, it was something that was also done by Klebold and Harris. The university community that Cho lived in valued success, and he felt envious of other successful Korean Americans, including his peers, his own sister and his parents. Due to the strain and distress that his failure caused him, Cho withdrew himself from society and focused his feelings and channeled them into writing that focused on his resentment. Cho made many comparisons to the Columbine shooting. He sympathised with the Columbine shooters in his manifesto, stating, We martyrs, like Eric and Dylan. And he carried out his shooting in the same week, the third week of April, as the Columbine attack was. In one of Cho's high school English papers, he wrote a story about a school massacre that was based on the Columbine attack. The impact of the Columbine shooting cannot be overestimated. Data shows that out of the preceding 63 mass shootings that took place after the Columbine massacre, 16 of them, that's about one, one quarter, were directly influenced by the Columbine attackers. Cho's attack occurred within the third week of April, just like the Columbine attack did. As with many mass shootings, we see it's not only any single agency that can be held responsible for what happened, but as usual, lots of small mistakes were made by many agencies along the way, and these accumulated, culminating in the fatal action that we saw. Federal privacy laws, local mental health provision, gun sale requirements, university authorities, impotent campus police, and even Cho's own family and roommates could have changed the course of action if things had been slightly different. Ultimately, it was Cho's responsibility for what he did. But interesting, it's also worth remembering that this, the most lethal campus shooting in US history, 32 dead and 17 injured, was conducted by a lone gunman not using an AR-15, but with two semi-automatic pistols. He didn't use semi-automatic rifles, he didn't use protective body armour or secondary weapons and distractions such as explosives. Cho's attack is a reminder that over-focusing on preventative efforts on a specific weapon type like the AR-15, rather than on the psychopathology of the perpetrators, will have limited impact in reducing mass shooting incidents in the future. Reducing access to AR-15 type rifles is important, but it's not the only thing that we need to do in combating mass casualty public shootings. You've been listening to the Your Crazy Professor but it might just work, amazing podcast. I hope it's been useful. I hope it's been informative.